Every time I pull my suit jacket back to turn on my mic, I vision myself tossing my coat behind the handle of my pistol, being ready to draw. (laughs) Maybe I've watched too many westerns growing up. Before I announce my text, title, and time, I want to thank you for having me. I enjoy being around God's people. I enjoy preaching in the Lord's churches. Sometimes I'm asked to preach in churches that do not belong to the Lord and they're filled with people who are not the Lord's people. It's easy to preach to the Lord's people. It's hard to preach to our enemies. And um, you know that. But I appreciate it. I I really have enjoyed your fellowship. I've enjoyed the fellowship of your pastor. And uh, I want to go ahead and say I'm glad that he made me preach on some things I wouldn't have picked out in the first place. Um, I don't like being stretched, but it doesn't hurt me any. So my title tonight is assigned, it is the, His Power is Globally Effective. And the, the text that that's going to come from is Psalm 96, verses 1 through 4. And interestingly enough, with some of these psalms, they appear in other portions of Scripture where they actually occurred in, in live time, in the historical setting where they were originally penned and used. And that is the case with Psalm 96. Most of it occurs word for word in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. All but this first verse of Psalm 96 is there in some form or another. And the setting there is the ark being brought into Jerusalem. We know that David tried to do this according to the program method, the one that seemed best and would draw the largest crowds and be the most exalting and uplifting. He brought it in on a cart with trumpet sound. And, of course, we know the carts, the, the ox stumbled, the cart shook, the ark was going to fall, and Uzzah reached up and, and steadied the ark, and God killed him. Man. David had a little pouting spell after that. I can relate. I've had a few pouting spells myself. But the prophet came and said, God's anger's been stayed. Bring the ark in like you planned, but let's do it God's way this time. And so when the ark was brought in in God's timing, God's way, David said, now that it's here, let's sing this song. This is the psalm that he wrote. He said, well, Brother Harold, you've been asked to talk about his power being globally effective from a psalm that celebrates the arrival of the ark of God in Jerusalem. How are you going to do that? It's real simple. I thought about it, and it hit me. And I'm so dumb, it takes me a while to get some of these things sometimes. The ark represented the presence of God, and God dwelt in Israel and in his holy city, Jerusalem. But when Christ came and died on the cross, you're celebrating that this week. Another event that occurred was that the veil of the temple was written too. The middle wall of partition's been torn down. The veil's been torn down. We no longer approach God through priesthood. We have a high priest who's entered into the heavens with his own blood. Made atonement for us. We now have a mediator with Christ. He ought to let me preach on that sometime. I know that one. That's my wheelhouse. Let me talk on that sometime. We've got a high priest in the heavens who's made intercession for us. And God ain't dwelling in a tent no more. He's dwelling dwelling in the body of his people through the person of the Holy Spirit. David says, this message needs to be declared throughout all the world that God's in Jerusalem. The message today is none other than this. It needs to be declared throughout all the world that God is in me. And I'm not stuck in Jerusalem. I'm not even stuck in Texas. I'm going back to Arkansas. Everywhere that I go, I carry this message. Everywhere that I go, this God is with me. He leads me and guides me along the way. So the fact that David penned this for the ark's arrival in Jerusalem fits perfectly with wherever I go because God arrives there with me in me everybody get that y'all picked it up quicker than I did I rolled this thing around for weeks and never picked that up until this afternoon 
Let's read our text. We've got four verses. I have four points. I want to begin in verse 1, read through verse 4. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. First thing we're instructed to do in this psalm is to sing his song. Sing his song. I remember driving down the road with a group of buddies of mine doing things Christians ought not to do. And somebody said, hey, they're playing our song. We rolled them windows down and cranked up them stock speakers I had as loud as they'd go. And we drove real slow with the windows down and just was like, they're playing our song. Christian, you have a song. It's his song. We ought to sing his song. We ought to be as excited about his song as we are about anything on the country channel, anything on the alternative channel, anything on any radio station. We ought to be as excited about his song as we are those. Do you ever listen to the old classics back when they made good music? You remember that? Remember that? Before the devil fully took over rock and roll when it was just suspected, not when he fully got grip on it. You don't have to amen that. In your heart, you know I'm right. You remember how it made you feel? Oh, man. I won't list any names for fear of judgment, but, oh, man, that's a good song. Child of God, when we look at verse 1 here, he says, sing unto the Lord. I want to emphasize the word unto and Lord. I'm not singing to a congregation when I sung down here. You're welcome. I didn't sing a special tonight. I didn't lead music like our brother did. He, he's good at that. Well, old brother Harold ain't. But you say, well, brother Harold, if you're such a bad singer, why do you sing? He said to. If he told me to go stand on my head in the corner, I'd be standing on my head in the corner. If, if he told me to go out in the, in the street and stand on the yellow line, I'd go stand on the yellow line. But over and over and over, he says, sing unto the Lord. And so our singing needs not be about how gifted we are or how we can reach music or have a certain octave or this song's not in my range. It's under the Lord. And he's, he's told us to do it and he's pleased by our obedience. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. A new song. New meaning modern. New meaning modern. I had a preacher tell me one time in 2010, he said no church should sing a song written prior to 2000. That's what I said. Hmm. Where'd you get this at? He said if you're singing them old songs, you're missing it. We ought to be singing new songs. I don't agree. I don't think he was referencing this verse. I think he was just interjecting his preference upon us. So what does it mean to sing a new song? Well, I have to tell you, new here, if you study it out, it doesn't so much mean modern as it means fresh. Something's new. I'll put it to you this way. I introduced my children to classic music. I don't mean classical music. I mean classic music. And they would say, boy, Dad, I like that song. I said, son, that song was playing when your grandpa was in high school. He had never heard it before. It was new to him. I'd heard it. I knew it word for word. My kids picked up what they thought was new music. It was actually their grandparents' music. It was new to them. The Bible gives us this concept in Lamentations chapter 3. You know it from the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The Lord's mercies. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Have you ever got a fresh song in your heart? Not that God did something new. 
dumbest church sign I've ever seen in 47 years. Come to so-and-so church where God is doing a new thing. <laughs> He's doing the old thing. He's doing what he already said he was going to do. He wrote down what he's going to do. It's all been pinned out. It's, it's laid out. He's not going around doing something new. He's doing what he's always done. So what does it mean to sing this new song, to sing his song? I love to tell the story, for some have never heard. The message, uh, the message of salvation from God's own holy word. But what about that other line? I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Newsflash, I got nothing new tonight. <laughs> I'm going to preach to you some old stuff. Nothing I've got's original with me. I didn't steal it from somebody, but I can guarantee you somebody before has said this. They might not have referenced classic rock. But the central theme has probably been preached at some point in human history. Probably by some unknown person as myself because I got the message from the same place he got it. So what does it mean to sing his song? Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. The entire earth is instructed to sing his song. I find it interesting that Jews are inviting the entire world to sing his song when the Jews are instructed not to keep company with those people. They're not to intermarry. They're not to live there. They're not to bring them in here. You can't come beyond this wall. So we've got this barrier of some kind, depending on how you want to translate the text. There's some kind of division. Jews are not supposed to do this, but they are supposed to evangelize. So you've got this command to be separate and come out from among them, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Yet, go out and tell them, come sing with us. How in the world can you invite people you're supposed to stay away from into the choir? You say, well, Brother Harold, we're in the New Testament now. Praise God. The message is the same. You are still called to be separate from the world, but you have to go out into the world with the message and invite them to come. We were having a discussion just the other day, were we not, on your kitchen table about the confusion of people using worldly means to attract people into the church. And this is the problem. They're excluding the call to be separate and holy unto the Lord in an effort to evangelize. So some people do that. They put aside their, their call to be separate and holy unto God in order to reach lost people. Other people take real serious their holiness unto God and they don't reach lost people. The tension is the same as it was in David's day as it is in my day. And you can go to one end of this spectrum or the other. You can be in the isolationist camp, you can grow your chin strap beard and ride behind a horse all day, or you can go over here in the liberal camp and drink beer and have Bible study all in the same place. Your choice. You say, Brother Hell, I, I don't want to do either one of those. Me neither. Let's get here in the middle and realize that we're called to be separate, but we still have to have a love for a lost and reach them. Well, Brother Harold, what does that look like? Explain that. It's different everywhere you go because culture is different in every culture you live in. So I can't explain it. I can tell you to pray about it and say you must be separate and you must evangelize. Work it out with prayer and study and you'll be fine. Verse 1, sing his song. Verse 2, show his salvation. Show his salvation. Look at verse 2 again with me. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. If you're keeping count, that's the third time we've been instructed to sing unto the Lord. I'm not into pneumatology or numerology or any of that stuff. I'm just not smart enough to get it. But why would we sing unto the Lord three times? Well, he rose on the third day. Fair enough. I think it's more Trinitarian than that. I think our God is one God, distinctly different, but one. I don't think the Holy Spirit died on the cross. I don't think Jesus Christ descended in the form of a dove. I don't think Jesus thundered from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye Him. 
Yet I think Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I find in our prayer room tonight, we praise God. We ask God to send the Spirit to do the things the Spirit does. We pray that the Spirit would do His work here. And we thank Jesus Christ for making it all possible. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's what it means. We ought to realize that the Holy Spirit is not a force sent out from God to make charismatics flop on the floor like a fish out of water. The Holy Spirit is indeed equal with the Father, equal with the Son, and is in very indeed God Himself. Just like the Father, just like the Son. He's not something that we activate in my area, and I, I hope it's limited to my area, and I hope it don't spread. There's people running all over Van Buren, Arkansas, wearing t-shirts that say this. You ready? If you've been sleeping up until this point, I got something to tell you. Wake up. People are wearing t-shirts that say, Holy Spirit, activate. <laughs> Did you say stupid? That's what I said. That's exactly what I, I said. That's stupid. Like God's up there going, boy, I wish they put me in the game. I could win this thing. Boy, they, if, you know, they put me in back in 82. We'd been state champs. Some of you get that. Some of you won't. Holy Spirit, you've been activated. You know, dun, 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 here he comes. The Holy Spirit's here. I got a t-shirt that says he can activate. I hope that's just some stupid preacher in my area that made these up for people in his church who don't know any better to wear them. The Holy Spirit's not somebody we activate. The Holy Spirit is who we approach and say, praise the Lord. And we're talking to him too. Because he's God. He's not some force that comes in that we resist. Poor old Holy Spirit can't do what he's supposed to do. Verse 2 says, Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, bless his name. We have a saying in Arkansas, I bet you've heard it in Texas, bless his heart. You can say anything you want about a church member as long as you follow it up with bless his heart. Let's try it. That fella is ugly, bless his heart. She's as dumb as a box of rocks, bless her heart. Well, does Jesus, does God, does the, the Father, the Spirit need some kind of bless his name at the end? Is that what we're talking about? No. No. We're talking about blessing his name. What does that mean? Do we pronounce a blessing on his name? You can do that. Blessed be our God. But how do we actually bless him? How do we actually bless him? And I'm going to give you a real broad but concise answer. Obey Him. It is blessed. It is best when we trust and obey. Obey. Saul had to learn that lesson the hard way. It was better to obey than sacrifice. He wanted to bless the Lord through sacrifice. Look at all I'm giving. I kept all these rams. I kept all this. I'm just going to bless God with this sacrifice. He doesn't want your sacrifice. God's not up in heaven going, if I had ten more bucks in the plate, we'd do something. We bless him by going out and doing what he's commissioned and commanded us to do. And when we talk about praise the Lord, bless his name, that means obey. Obey what? Well, in this text it says, show forth his salvation from day to day. Show forth. If you got the King James like me, it's shoe forth. But we shooed that word away a long time ago, didn't we? We show forth now. What does it mean to show forth? Some translations just say proclaim. And that's a good translation too. But I think show forth is better, and I'm going to tell you why. Proclaim means we just talk it. We just simply say it. All right? It needs to be said. I'm not one of these friendship evangelist guys. We just live it and people pick it up. But show forth has the idea of this. We're not just saying it, we're living it. We're showing it. 
Have you ever heard a joke about not taking a Baptist fishing or you'll drink all your beer, you have to take two Baptist fishing? Because if you take two, they won't drink. You take one, they'll drink all your beer. You ever heard this joke? If you haven't, we'll just quit preaching. I'll tell you a whole bunch of them. <laughs> but if you've heard them, we'll move on. You heard them? Have you heard about people in church being hypocrites, saying one thing, doing another? Have you ever heard these jokes? Wonder why? I'll tell you why. It's because they proclaim and they don't show forth. They say one thing and they do another. We were talking about Western movies a minute ago. The Indians had a great line, and it applies to most church folks. The Indians used to say, white man speaks with forked tongue. This is what they would do in the old West movies. And it's true. The white men would come to the Indians. They'd make a peace treaty with them and say, hey, just give us this much land. Y'all can have the rest. We'd move in there, and then we'd say, hey, we want this much land, and then you can have the rest. And pretty soon we just pushed them completely out. And they would say, you say one thing and you do another. You say two things out of the same mouth. Christian, if you're not showing forth the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just saying, do as I do, don't do as I say, don't do as I do. I like show forth better than proclaim. I remember it this way because I like to alliterate and use the same words. It helps me remember things. We must broadcast and billboard. We must broadcast and billboard. Time was everybody listened to the radio. If you wanted to get something out, you put it on the radio. Everybody listened to the radio. People don't listen to the radio no more. They listen to their phone. Way too much they listen to their phone. But we don't have to put up with commercials. We've got Spotify and iTunes, and we can just play all our songs without the commercials. We finally got what radio stations promised for years. All music, no talk. So nobody advertises on the radio. But you know what? We still drive everywhere we go, so now billboards are everywhere. Okay, Christian, maybe you've told everybody you can tell. Maybe the radio ain't working no more. Maybe it's time you just start living what you've been telling everybody else and let that work as they pass by. Broadcast, don't quit. Billboard, it's time to start. It's time to start. Look at this. Shoe forth his salvation from day to day. Now, I read all the smart guys on this one, and they all disagree on what day to day means. You know what that means. When educated men disagree, I get to jump in the fray and give my own meaning because I don't have a definitive example of exactly what day-to-day -day means. There's no cut and dried in the Hebrew. It means blah, 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 blah. So day-to-day -day can mean a number of things. It can mean new. His mercies are new every morning. I like that. You? Yeah. It could mean fresh. We're not just repent and believe the gospel like I've said nine million times. No, maybe you need to say it like you mean it, like you actually believe it yourself. It could mean steady, and that's the one I'm going to go with. We need to do this day to day. And this is the one I'm going to harp on a little bit because I pastored the same church for 14 years. Your pastor's been here 22? He don't have to say amen, but on the inside, he's going to say amen. Derek, how long you been? 23? 23. Alan? Six. You'll agree anyways. Men, have you ever experienced someone coming to your church? All right, preacher, I'm here. What do you need me to do? I'll do anything. I'll sweep the floors. I'll, I'll, I'll clean out the baptistry. I'll sweep the parking lot. I'll hold the doors open. I'll do this. Six weeks later, we can't find them. You, you experienced that? Once. Got my boots on. A bunch. People show up all the time, they're on fire, they're 100 miles an hour, two weeks later, they're dead, they're gone. When somebody shows up now and says, all right, Brother Harold, I'm here, what do you need me to do? Sit down and listen. Well, I, I want to serve, I want you to serve too, sit down and listen. Well, then about two weeks later, I'm tired of sitting and listening. You'll never make it opening the door. You'll never make it unstopping toilets. If you can't hear the word of God proclaimed day to day, you're not going to go clean up the nursery after they're done in there. You're not going to do it. 
Now, the, the Bible says that we're to show forth His salvation day to day. Sometimes we hear a powerful message. Sometimes we fall under conviction. Boy, I'm going to go pass out tracks. I'm going to do this. And we go out and we give it a, a good old college try. We hit it hard for a couple days. And a couple people tell us to get lost and wave at us. And then we quit. Friend, you don't have to turn Fort Worth over in a day. Just do a little day to day. Do a little day to day. I got me a wood burning stove a couple years ago. I've wanted one for a long time. I'm a little bit hermitish. You know, I could just about move into the woods. If I didn't have a command to evangelize the lost and pastor a church, I'd just go live in the woods. I really would. And I, I wanted a wood burning stove and I got it. And I'm like, I need eight ricks of firewood. Brother Harold, when's the last time you cut a rick of firewood? About three years ago. So I went out one day, going to cut eight ricks. How do you think that went? I got about a rick and a half cut, part of that loaded onto the trailer, and I hurt from one end of me to the other. For four days, I got out of the chair real ginger-like. I walked into the pulpit like this. What's the matter with you? I got a wood-burning stove. <laughs> that first year, it was that way. You know what I realized? Look, if you're going to have a wood-burning stove and you're going to burn a bunch of wood and this is what you like doing, you need to cut a little firewood day to day. Just cut it. Back up there in the barn, I got me a splitter. Back up there in the barn, split it stack it tree limb falls over in the pasture just go out there and cut it up pile up the brush doesn't kill you you know what i got under the barn i got ricks of firewood sitting on pallets dry in the barn it didn't come from doing it all in a day it come from a little day today 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 christian do it day to day your pastor needs somebody, not that'll come in and clean the whole church, somebody that'll be faithful and show up and hear the Word of God preached day to day. I told you they'd say amen. Had to pry a little on them, but I got it out of there. They agreed with me. You should too. I really think what he's saying is singing to the Lord. He's talking about from your heart. Bless his name and obedience and do it and show forth both in your life and in what you say every single day. I think everybody got it. Let's move to verse 3. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. We've seen that we're to sing his song and show his salvation. Now we're to spread his story. We are to spread his story. And I'm using the word story because I believe that's the best descriptor of what's happening in verse 3. Let's start off with that word declare. Does any, I, I'm using the King James because I'm used to it, not because it's the only translation God gave the English-speaking world. Does anybody have a translation that says debate? Nobody? You know why? You're not supposed to debate his glory. You're not supposed to debate his wonders. You're not supposed to go into the heathen and debate. We're not out here to win spiritual arguments. We're not out here to take the theological high ground. It's fun beating up people of other denominations because we're right. I love it when they say, semper reformanda. I said, if you meant that, you'd be a Baptist. If you meant that, you'd be a Baptist. No, I'm always reforming. You still got baptism wrong. You still got the Lord's Supper wrong. You still got the covenants wrong. You still got the priesthood wrong. If you're always reforming, you started in the 1600s. Why haven't you got here yet? That's fun. I like preaching that way, don't you? You know what he said? Don't go debate them. Declare. That's a declaration. What I'm doing is preaching. That's part of what a pastor does. There's the proclamation, the declaration. I'm stating it. This is not an interaction. But then there's the dialogue. You know, Paul at times would have a dialogue and he would teach. And he would allow them to ask questions and he would answer. And I think you guys are going to get your turn as soon as this is over. But friend, listen to me. 
When it comes to the wonders and the glory of our God, it's not up for debate. It's settled forever. Declare it. Amen, preacher. What does that look like? Get off of Facebook and get in your flock. Get off of Facebook and get in your flock. If you're spending your day writing theological triages on Facebook and you're sitting here and boy, you're just beating up every other group out there and you're tearing the Catholics up, you're wasting a lot of time that you could be used in the local assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get off of Instagram and get into your Bible. Get off of Instagram and get in your Bible. Quit taking pictures of what you ate and what you're doing and putting it on Instagram. Look, there's nothing wrong with Instagram. But if I look at your profile and you're posting stuff on there every hour, you're more absorbed in Instagram than you are anything else. Get off of Twitter and get under some good teaching. I'm guilty of this. I've sat there on Twitter like this. I wonder what Alan Nelson's doing. And sometimes it takes me a while because Alan's working. He don't have time to be on there. wonder what Derek's doing. Sometimes Derek, he's not on there. I'm like, I'm the only guy as the rapture occurred. Am I, am I the only one left? And then I look at and I go, I've been doing this for 20 minutes. I've accomplished zero. In 20 minutes, I could have texted Derek, what are you doing? Studying. Okay. Alan, what are you doing? Studying. A minute, I could be under good teaching. Or I could be issuing, hopefully, good teaching. Friend, what it looks like to declare and not debate is that right there. Be diligent in your flock, be diligent in the Bible, and be diligent under sound teaching. Declare His glory. The word glory here has the meaning of weight. <laughs> the weighty things. You know, I, I said last night in the question and answer, we need to quit reading theology and start being practical about things, something along those lines. That doesn't mean that theology and, and weighty doctrines are not important. That shouldn't be where we spend our time. The world doesn't understand this thing. They don't know these things. They don't need to know where you stand on infolapsarianism. They need to know who God is. And I can assure you, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives within you, you have all you need to know to talk to a lost man and share with him how to be saved. You have it. Oh, but Brother Harold, I haven't completed Bible college yet. Who cares? I never went there to start with. God can use fishermen from Galilee and a hillbilly from Arkansas. Jump in the fray. Declare his glory. Just talk about what that God did for you. Well, I don't think we should share our testimony with the lost. I think we should command them to repent and believe. Question. How can you declare his glory among the heathen and repent and believe? Or his wonders among all people? Wonders is plural. We're not talking about the cross. Wonders. Wonders. Glory, the weight, the glory, the majesty, the depth of God, that needs to be laid out in why we believe in Him. Well, you believe in some. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I don't believe in fairy tales. I said, me neither. He said, well, you believe in God. I said, oh, yeah. He said, well, he's a fairy tale. I said, no. And I started describing my God to him. When I got done, he was real quiet. I said, he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Mankind didn't come out of a slime pit, some little thing like this, scooting through the water. God formed him out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We have a God who loves us so much that he come down on our level and breathed into us his own spirit. He created us in his image. And I began to talk about having eyes to see. And my God has eyes and he knows what's going on and ears to hear. And my God hears everything. And I began to describe the glory of God. And this fellow just sat and listened. This lost guy just sat and listened. I could have got repent and believe out a long time ago. We ended with repent and believe. But I'm not instructed just to preach repent and believe. I'm instructed to preach the glory of God, not to the church, but to the heathen. 
Let's deal with that word heathen. Heathen is a Hebrew word that means Baptist. No, it means a non-Jew. We're to discuss the glory of God with non-believers. If the Jews were to discuss it with non-Jews, the Christians should discuss it with non-Christians. What about wonders? Wonders are the story. We got a lot of people telling the story of David and Goliath. And you're David. And Goliath is your boss at work. And the five stones or whatever, I, I, don't, I quit listening a long time ago. Somebody needs to tell the story of David and Goliath to the heathen where David is an image or a type of Jesus Christ and Goliath is death, hell, Satan, the grave, everything that he overcame on the cross. When he came out of that tomb, the head was removed off Goliath. If these pretending pastors are going to tell it according to their view, for crying out loud, let's tell it according to ours. Let's just start talking to people about who David and Goliath really are. Let's talk about Moses and who he really is. This is what they need. This is just as important. If God said do it, everybody would say amen. Now that I'm saying do it, you're like, I just want to stick with repent and believe. Yeah, me too. Well, Brother Harold, why are you beating this up? Because you'll never repent unless you first have a revelation. You'll never have faith unless you first have facts. We can't expect people to believe in a God they do not know. Repent and believe in what God? Repent of what? We spit out these little catchphrases that we've been trained. And I think evangelism training is good. But you know what's better? The Bible. And if it said declare the glory and the wonder of God in all nations to the heathen, that needs to be incorporated into our evangelism. Now, I don't think you can declare the weightier things of God's glory at a stoplight, but I think you can do it at an office building around a table. Share every story you know from Genesis to Revelation as the Lord gives you time. I'm looking at the clock up there. I didn't see that last night. That's kind of a nice addition this evening. I think it was there. It just wasn't revealed unto me until now. <laughs> Let's look at verse 4, and this is my last point. Shun his substitutes. Sing his song, show his salvation, spread his story. Shun his substitutes. Verse 4. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. I think we can all agree that God and God alone is the only one that deserves to be praised. We all believe that to the point that we'll sometimes fail to thank our pastor for his good service. We all believe that to the point that we'll say, well, I don't want to give you the big head and I know it's God in you. We know that too. You don't have to give me a sermon before you say thanks. Good job. I know what you mean, too. I'm not all that in a box of chocolates. I figured that out a long time ago. But real praise belongs to God. Praise to the Lord Almighty. You say, well, that's great. That's great. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. I'm not going to belabor that. I know what time it is. He is to be feared above all gods you know what I've discovered nobody has a totem pole these days you remember the totem pole when I was a kid I thought all Indian tribes had totem poles well it is like one or two tribes had a totem pole a totem pole they would carve a god and on top of it they would carve a god and on top of it they would carve a god and then they would have like the sun god and the corn god and the buffalo god and whatever they go down their totem pole well, in Paul's day, he saw that too. You remember when he was in Athens and my beheld your devotions and while I was looking around, and they had an unknown God because they might not have enough on the totem pole. Well, today, I don't drive by someone's house and see a, a false God in their yard. 
once I went into a donut shop and they had a little gold Buddha and they had some donuts and pineapple out there and two candles burning. And I said, what are y'all doing? You're going to burn this place down. I was intentionally being dumb, trying to strike a conversation up about why'd you waste a good bear claw on that gold statue? <laughs> what are you thinking? Get that up off the ground. I don't see that. You? You ever drive by somebody's yard and they got a, they got a rock statue out front? They worship. They're out there in the yard bowing down to it. No. And I'm here to tell you the substitutes... For our God in this world are not stone or wood or even silver or gold. But they are nonetheless gods. You ready to go down the list? Ready or not, here I come. Little League Ball. I drive to church on Sunday night and there is a camp for 10 to 12 year olds to get better at ball. Every Sunday night it's packed. You cannot squeeze another car in there. They're not playing a game. They do it on Sunday nights because there's no games played on Sunday night. So people who think their kids from 10 to 12 years old need to hone their skills in batting, pitching, and catching will spend their Sunday nights sitting out there at a ball field doing that. I know not every church has a Sunday night service, but I know a bunch that do, and there are people who said, we got to get to church early so we can get to Little League so he can learn to bat and brother hell our kids aren't doing that okay wait till they get in high school high school sports do you know that the school that I grew up in never won a state title in football ever we stunk to high heaven they got a coach in there and they won a state title a state title a state title a state title they won like six in a row they skipped a year and won like three more. And I'm like, what's his secret? They practice every Wednesday night. They practice on Sundays. They practice the, the day after. They practice Thanksgiving morning because they're always in the playoffs. This coach told them, if you're not going to come to every single practice, you're not going to play on this team. So mom and dad, if you want your kids to play on a state championship football team it's going to cost them church attendance you know what you just did you took God you may have him at the top of your totem pole but you stuck the high school right down there underneath it and that state championship ring you never got that you want your boy to have you just put that on your totem pole college sports well they play on Saturday preacher and you're come in so drug, dragging and hung over on Sunday, you can't hold your eyes open because you stayed up all day Saturday watching ball games. Listen to me. People, listen to me. If you're sitting back there pious, and brother, hell, I locked you up until this point, I don't care, I'm going back to Arkansas. Here's what you've done. You've stuck that on your totem pole. I don't have time for that, Brother Harold. I work too much. Ding, ding, ding. There's the next item on your totem pole. Your job. Your job can become as big a God as God himself in your world. I have to work this Sunday. You had to work last Sunday. You had to work the Sunday before. Maybe you should consider a change of career if you're going to have to work every single Sunday because your God said you should have one day that you worship me with everybody else that worships me. I understand your ox falling in a pit, but for crying out loud, fill it in. Get out of that mess. Well, Brother Harold, uh, you just don't know what my house payment is. Oh, I think we hit another totem pole. How big a house you need for them two kids? Oh, I didn't expect an amen. How big a house do you need? Well, brother, hell, I've got bills. How fancy of a car do you need? I think it ought to be dependable. It ought to run. I think you ought to have air conditioner and satellite radio. But you can get all that and stay under a half a hundred thousand dollars. Have a real nice one. If you can't come to church and you're driving an $80,000 automobile because you've got bills you have to work, I'm here to tell you, your bills are more important than your God. And I'll say it just as plain as I can. You can chew me out back there if you want to. I don't care. It's a fact. 
How can you say such a thing? Because I've been guilty of that myself. I'd love to go to church, but I've got, I've got a family to care for. I've got bills. Yeah, yeah I've got bills. I've got new shotguns. I've got a four-wheeler. I've got a bass boat. I've got to work. I've got to pay for these things. So I can hunt on Saturday and work on Sunday. I can preach this way because I've been this way. And I can preach this way because I, there's a very good chance some of you may be this way. And you will thank me later if you'll go home tonight and get down on your knees and say, God, was that little fellow talking about me? Help me get out from under the fear of these other gods that have crept into my life. I don't have time to deal with hobbies. But you can talk about any of your hobbies you want to. The world loves them. Everybody you know has them, and it's only normal and natural for you to have the same. And so it is in every pagan country with their pagan God. Friend, listen to me. You'll never do verses 1 through 3 if you're not willing to clean up verse 4. You're never going to sing his song to all the earth because you're going to be too busy with the other God. You're never going to show his salvation. Oh, you may say it, but you will not live it because you're too busy with the other God. You'll never spread his story. You may win a few debates because you know better. You're not going to be the day-to-day -day Christian if you have another God that you fear equally or even close to equally of the one true God. I'm preaching way over, but I got something I got to get off of me before we close. Revelation chapter 5. They sang a new song there. Some of you might have thought about this earlier. I did too. I kept wanting to squeeze it in somewhere. and I said, maybe it'd be better just to explain all that and beat up all your little gods. And then right before I leave, give you a glimpse of the one true God who's worthy to be praised. And I want you to see the new song they sang. And I want you to see why they sang it. And I want you to see who sung it. And I'll just read it, make a few short comments. You can preach the sermon to yourself. That'd be better anyways, wouldn't it? And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. I have a question. Was there ever anybody in the New Testament that commissioned us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father? Who was that fella? Who was that masked man? Oh, it was none other than this guy standing in the midst of the elders and the four beasts. It was this lamb that was slain. And what did he say? Take this and go to the, all the world. And here he is at the end. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said, this is millennial in nature. This is millennial in nature. That's all Charles Spurgeon said about it. The premillennial are saying, it's coming. The postmillennial say, it happened. The all-millennial say, it's spiritual and happening in my heart now. I don't know what this does to your eschatology, and I don't know where you're at, and don't ask me where I am, because I'm not going to tell you. Because I don't know. I can't believe you don't know all those things. I don't read your books, and I don't want to start. Here's what I know. He's coming back and he's going to take this book and he's going to open those seven seals and he's going to unroll it. And those of us who have been saved by him, look at this. 
we're going to have a new song. And he came and he took the book in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. The new song's already been written. Because we have a God that does everything on his timetable and not mine. They sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth forever. Oh, friend, listen to me. These people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, they ain't going to sing this song with us if we don't do what we've been told to do and go and tell them. I'm not an Arminian, but I believe my God told me how these people would be converted through the foolishness of preaching. How shall they hear except we be sent? How shall they hear if they don't have a preacher? Who in the world's going to send preachers out? The Mason's Lodge? The Shriners? Who's going to do it? St. Jude's? Are they doing this? March of Dimes? Boys and Girls Club? There's none other but the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ who's been commissioned with a new song to go into all the earth and declare His glory. And in that day, all of the saints will gather. And I beheld in verse 11 and heard the voice of a mighty angel round about the throne, the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands and thousands. I'm not very good at numerology. That's a bunch. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength. And honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea. And all of that are in them heard I say. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever and ever. You know what I say? Amen. That's my prayer. That's my sermon. It's your service.